Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? (laughs) I hope that you all are doing well. Let me tell you, just like we sang, Jesus changes everything. Jesus changed my life, and I would not be the same without him. And it's an honor uh, to get to be here with you today, whether you are in the room or online, and just to talk about Jesus, to teach you what he's been teaching me. And I hope that you leave here feeling encouraged and challenged and all the things. So listen, We got a ways to go today and not a lot of time to get there. So I'm just going to jump in. Are y'all ready? Okay. This is, like Tim said, this is our second week of James. We're going to be hanging out in James chapter two. If you want to read along, it's going to be on the screen as well. James is like, listen, y'all, I got some stuff to say. (laughs) This is where it gets real. This is the heart of the book. So I think it'd be good if we listened, don't you think? Yeah. All right. James chapter two, we're going to start in verse 14. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, Faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, (laughs) are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Then he closes and says, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. I told y'all, he's saying some stuff today. He's bringing the heat. And if you're familiar with the Bible and the message of the gospel, reading this passage from James 2 may be a little bit confusing. From the surface, this statement feels very different from the rest of what the New Testament says, the rest of what Paul says. That by our faith in Jesus alone, that uh, by his work, not our work, we are saved. But here, James says, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's confusing, right? Have you ever been in a situation where you're overhearing two people kind of start to get in an argument, and you, as the third person, are listening, and you're like, hold on, you're actually saying the same thing. You're just using different words. You're confusing each other. You're not listening to the other. You're like, guys, guys, we're on the same page. I think that the tension here between Paul and James' teachings is actually very similar. The tension that we feel is similar. It's confusing. But at the end of the day, they actually really agree with each other. 
And before we get too far into this message, I think it's important that we work this tension out. Which is it? Are we justified by faith alone or by our works? When we are reading the Bible, context and language is vital for us to understand what's going on, and this is a perfect example of this. This word that both of them use over and over, justify, it can mean different things. You can be justified by things being made right on your behalf. Think like a debt being paid, a relationship that needs mending, false accusations that need to be cleared about you. But you can also justify something as a way to prove that it is true, as a way of showing evidence that it is right. Think like, I'm going to justify eating this cookie because I've been eating really healthy this week, right? I've said that a few times in my life. Um, so, so Paul was writing to people who did not yet believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They were consumed by keeping their own strict rules on how to get to God. And his purpose in writing to them was to preach that we are saved by his work, not our own. But James, our friend James, he is writing to a group of Messianic Jews. They were already followers of Jesus. So he's coming to them with the understanding that they should already know this. This group of Jews had spent most of their lives striving to keep the law and trying to earn God's love and grace through their work. That's what they believed they needed. And now they had found freedom from that through the life of Jesus. However, <laughs> in that freedom, they ended up swinging the pendulum so far the other way that they had now begun to believe that their works didn't matter at all. Their actions were pointless. They had begun living in a way that did not reflect the faith that they professed. They were living inauthentically to what they believed. So in this context, I believe what James is saying is that our actions will prove our faith. Works are not the cause of salvation, they are the evidence of it. So think of an apple tree, right? When you're looking, or any fruit tree, whatever floats your boat, I choose apple. Okay, apple tree. <laughs> Where is the life source of that tree? It is not found in the fruit. It's found deep in the root, under the ground, hidden. But, however, <laughs> I've been saying however a lot, however, if that tree is alive, if that life source in it is thriving, it will grow fruit, right? So while faith and belief is the life source of our salvation, our work, our behavior, our day-to-day -day lives shows our faith. It's the fruit. Jesus himself talks a lot about this idea of the fruit in our lives, and uh, throughout his ministry and uh, his time on earth, he talked a lot about fruit and a lot about trees, and he says this about, he tells people, this is how you can identify if someone is a false prophet. This is in Matthew 7. He says, you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. A good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. 
Then he says, a bad tree, where is this one? Oh, yeah. Nope, I missed it. Okay, anyway. Yes, it's chopped down and thrown into the fire. Here we go. I was like making sure this was on there. Making sure it's a bad, a tree that produces bad fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. This is what James is talking about. He says, so you say God is one, good. Even the demons say that. It is not enough to say what we believe. Our actions must be an authentic reflection of those beliefs. Our faith will be seen by the rest of the world through how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. And um, can I just pause for a second? I want to make sure I say this. Like, this is so important to me. It's very easy to read James 2 and to hear this sermon and think like, yeah, okay, got it, Leslie. Work harder. I have to have more faith, I have to be more, I have to do more, uh, more, 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 try harder. And for some of us, this call to do more in faith has actually been very damaging for you. Maybe you've been in a legalistic environment where they didn't care about you, they just care about what you did. And I just wanna tell you, we wanna tell you, we wanna release you from that. What this is talking about, what James is talking about, what we're talking about today is an authentic faith in Jesus that is free from striving, free from crawling up some sort of spiritual ladder or filling our spiritual resumes with more things. This is about asking the question, what kind of faith does my life reflect? Am I living authentically to what I say I believe? Okay, quick poll. Um, Who in here is a fan of LaCroix. Anyone? Show of hands, Topo Chico, Bubbly, whatever, floats your boat, if you're a fan of it. Okay, so um, just so you know, uh, you are wrong, and LaCroix is disgusting. Um, I'm sorry, show of hands if you think LaCroix is gross, if you think it's, okay, wow, a lot more hands, just saying, okay. I didn't want to be the one to break it to you, but here I am. Okay. (laughs) For a long time, I thought I was actually the only one who thought this because it was very popular and very trendy. It was everywhere. And I was like, I I swear, like, everyone likes it. I'm the weird one that doesn't. And so, true story, this actually happened. I thought I would be cute and, like, trendy and cater towards our Gen Z students at Student Life. And I was going to plan this LaCroix night for them. And I know, (laughs) we'd done it at Alpha. It was a big hit with the millennials. Uh, So I was like, okay, they're gonna love it. We should do this. And so I'm all excited. I think they're gonna think I'm so cool. And I tell them, I'm like, guys, next week, guess what? We're having a LaCroix night. And when I tell you that they looked at me with anger, um, they looked at me with anger. They literally were like, how, would you, how could you royally betray us in this way? Why would I do such a thing to them? What did they do to deserve this? And then one of, I was like, guys, I thought you liked this. I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. And one of them looked at me and said, LaCroix tastes like gross water. And then, like, someone comes up behind you and just whispers the name of a fruit in your ear. <laughs> and you're like, your brain's like, wait, what? What? You're like, what? 
Water, watermelon, it is watermelon, yes, that is it. Um, I'm just kidding, no shame, if you like LaCroix, go for it, you do you. We're, we're accepting here. But in all seriousness, um, I bring this up today um, because I think right now in our American culture, there's a version of Christianity that is very similar to this. <laughs> our lives look very similar to the majority of the world with just a hint of Jesus. We tend to be more focused on achieving success, gaining popularity, self-improvement, whatever we can do to get the bigger, better life here. And then maybe we'll throw some inspirational Bible verses in there too. Our actions are selling a different kind of faith that we say we believe. A faith that won't actually save, a faith that won't actually create change in your life or anyone else's, a faith that is dead. I read this article a few months ago, and it came out after a, a very like major moral failure happened with a high-profile pastor in the American church. And this article was written by a guy named Ben Sixsmith. And Ben grew up in a charismatic church, but would now consider himself agnostic. And there are a couple quotes from this article that I cannot stop thinking about where he introduces this idea of this version of faith held by a lot of people that looks like a twist of Christianity. He says this about that kind of faith. They have mainstream culture, celebrities, fashion, music, modish poli political activism, and a message of self-love, but with a twist of Christianity. And he says, most people stick with mainstream culture because they can have all of those things and premarital sex. He said it, not me. Um. <laughs> anyway, then he goes on to say, and this is so powerful. He says, I am not religious, so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. Friends, the gospel will be seen through how we live our lives day in and day out. Our actions are the fruit. Is the fruit we are producing authentic to the gospel? Because here's the thing, and just like going back to this silly LaCroix story, right? That day, all of my students looked at me and said, if they were gonna have a carbonated beverage, they would much rather just have the full sugar, high calorie, but high flavor soda. They didn't want any of this watered-down mess. And I think our world, the people in your life, the people in my life, they don't need or want a hint of Jesus. They need the whole Jesus. So how can we be more authentic in our actions? Let's jump back to James 2, um, because he touches on a few examples right here in the text. He talks about helping the poor, feeding the hungry, meeting their tangible needs, their physical needs. 
Earlier in the chapter, he also talks about not showing favoritism towards groups of people. He talks about loving all of your neighbors, not the ones that are easy to love, not the ones that you are trying to impress, not the ones that look like you. Man, do we need to hear that right now. He also talks about Rahab, who put her own life and reputation on the line to obey God and to help his people. And I want to focus on the rest of the morning on a story that James also mentions, which is the story of Abraham and Isaac. Because all of those things mentioned, they're all very important and things we should be doing and things the kingdom absolutely needs. But what we see in the story of Abraham and Isaac, I think actually anchors all of those together. It's like the root of why we do all those things. So let me back up remind you of the story of Abraham. A lot of you may know it, but if you don't, here is the short version of it. God made a promise to Abraham that he would build a great nation of his chosen people through Abraham's descendants, despite the fact that Abraham and his wife were far too old to be having kids. It made no sense. It was impossible. And they waited years to see this promise fulfilled, decade after decade piling up, and after lots of waiting, and a lot of ups and downs and mistakes and all of the things, God finally delivers on his promise, and they have a child, Isaac. Years later, God asks Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice his life as an offering and Abraham obeys God. He goes, they build an altar for the burnt offering, he ties his son up, and as he raises the knife to kill his own son, his only son, his promised son, the most important thing in his life, God steps in at the last minute to stop him. And we see this moment in Genesis 22, verse 12, the, Lord, or the angel of the Lord says this, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. In that moment, God provided a ram for the offering in Isaac's place and God reaffirms his promise to Abraham. Now, This story is a lot to take in, right? It's very complex, and it holds a lot of weight. And to be honest, this part of the Bible has always felt so harsh to me, so confusing. Why would a loving God ask him to do that? What was he doing? After all these years of answering this promise, why is he asking him to now sacrifice his life? And this is the example that James uses of how our faith is worked out in our actions. I don't know about you, I've never done anything remotely close to that. And if God asked me to do that, I I would have a hard time. (laughs) But there's a lot more to the story that we may not see at first glance. While God's instructions to him seem very extreme to us, the culture at this time worshipped other little g-gods and commonly had to work and work and work to appease these gods. Oftentimes, 
with harmful practices and even child sacrifice. So in this moment with Isaac, God was showing Abraham, and I believe he's showing us today as well, that he is different than all of those other gods. He doesn't require us to do anything to get to him. He doesn't require us to work harder. He doesn't require us to earn his love, his presence, his approval. It's as if he was saying, I'm not going to make you sacrifice your son. I'm not here to take from you. I'm here to give to you. In fact, it is not us who will suffer, but it's actually God himself who will sacrifice for us. Who did? And the weight of this story of a father being willing to give up his son's life, it should sit heavy with us because that's exactly what God did for us. The offering of Isaac was the evidence that Abraham was willing to give up anything for God because he believed that God was a God of love and who would freely give up anything for him. He knew that this God was different and his actions reflected it. In Romans 8.32, it talks about this idea of God giving up everything for us, and it's amazing because the wording is very similar to this wording in Genesis. This is the Passion Translation, but it says, for God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. God has proven his love for you by withholding nothing from you, not even his greatest treasure. And now God is inviting you, he's inviting me to one, believing that that is true, receiving that kind of a love, and then two, living in such a way that our actions prove that love to the world around us. We don't create more authenticity by doing more for Jesus, by acting more. Although maybe today or another day, you'll be inspired to do more. (laughs) That may happen. But authentic actions happen when we center our lives on a faith that says, because God withholds nothing from me, I will withhold nothing from him. Because God withholds nothing from me, I will withhold nothing from him. Not my time, not my money, not my resources, not my dreams, my reputation, my approval, anything. It's all for him. Authentic actions happen when we choose to believe that God is who he says he is and that we want the whole world to know it too. I want to end this morning with a few questions for each of us to reflect on as we continue in worship and as we leave here today. I hope that this will sit with you. Tim actually asked these questions last week, and I thought that they're a great guide for us this week as we take in all that James has to say to us in chapter two. So question one, have you made Jesus Lord of your life? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? 
that he has withheld nothing from you, not even his son. Have you made Jesus Lord of your life? Maybe today is that day. Maybe you've never taken that step, but you've been wanting to. Let today be that day. Two, question two, are you growing in your faith specifically in, when it comes to the way that you live? Do your actions reflect what you believe, what you say you believe? Are you living authentically to the gospel? Are you generous with your time, your money, your words, your resources? Has your faith changed the way that you live? Because it should. Are you growing in your faith and the way that you live? And last question I want to make sure to ask before we go is, do you need help with anything? (laughs) Whether you need to take that next step in your faith and you are like, I want to follow Jesus, help me, I need help. Or you're in need of prayer. Or you are struggling with something and you just want to talk to somebody. Do not leave here. Hear me say this. Do not leave here today without talking to someone. Come find me. Come find anyone on our team. Our prayer team will be up here as well. And I know this, that we want to be a church who is authentic in our actions. And we are here to help you. So I'm going to pray quick. And then we're going to worship some more. And I want to encourage you to, again, let those questions soak in. And as we sing, maybe ask God that he would speak to you as you reflect on these things. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are the God who withholds nothing from us. Not even your son. Thank you that you have shown us a love that is so different than what the world shows us. A love that is unconditional. A love that is selfless. God, I pray for each and every person in this room watching online as well, that you would speak to them today. I pray that you would increase our faith, that you would help us to live authentically to the life that you have called us to live, that our actions would point people back to you, not us. I pray that we would not withhold any part of our lives from you. I pray that we would know that you are good, that you are for us, that you have already given us everything we need, that we can trust you. God, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for um, all that you have done for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.